Welcome to The Paleo View. I'm bestselling author and co-creator of realeverything.com, Stacey Toth. I focus on being healthy inside and out through real life, food, and talk. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times bestselling author and creator of thepaleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Welcome back, listeners, to The Paleo View. I'm going to be honest with you. I have no idea what the show number is or even what day it is. This, (laughs) this is me on the road. That's what this time warp show is. But I'm super excited about it because, Sarah, you finally made time to, well, not finally made time. You, You always make time. I'm just saying we finally got around to discussing chlorine and it's on top of mind for so many of our listeners, I'm sure, as we all spend a ton of time in public pools this summer. Um, in particular for me, I've been going to water aerobics three times a week and wanted the science on what that was doing to me and if there was anything that I could do to help detox it. So I'm excited to hear what you found mm. after your weeks of research (laughs) um i'm just 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 as a like bit of a spoiler um don't be too excited (laughs) but it's it's a it's a complex topic and actually this is one of the reasons why whenever you like you'll often throw like oh i want to do a podcast about this thing and i will go oh and it's because i know i know it's not going to be a straightforward topic and this is definitely definitely one of those uh, but before we dive into whether or not swimming in chlorinated pools is uh, swimming in like a pool of toxins, uh, we should talk about how awesome it is that Juve is sponsoring this episode. I love when Juve sponsors the show and I am not able to take my giant Juve on the road this summer. Oh my gosh. How are you going to live? Juve portable tiny little juve all over mm-hmm. every day just rotating it as you do in your pants on your yep. back who knows I don't know so I do I'm, I just stick it in my waistband I've gotten so used to juving every single morning it's part of my routine since I've started staying home um it's such my like relaxing downtime and I am curious to hear about whether or not that sort of therapy is helpful as it relates to chlorine. So Mm -hmm. let's jump into the show and maybe you can talk about that. And for our listeners, we will give you more information as the show goes on. But in the meantime, if you want to check out Juve and you haven't heard us talk about them before, you can go to Juve, J-O-O-V-V.com slash paleo view. And all of the good information is there waiting for you. So um, I think it's really important to start the discussion of the downsides of chlorination with the discussion of the upsides because chlorination is the like majority across the globe way that we disinfect pools. Um, So chlorine is an amazing killer of microbes and that's really important. So it used to be before chlorination of pools was a normal 
procedure that really, really harmful illnesses were transmitted by swimming pools. So, I mean, it used to be, for example, like diphtheria, which I mean is on the normal vaccination schedule now, but diphtheria uh, was transmitted through public pools. Um, nowadays, the dominant infections, they're called recreational water illnesses or RWIs. Um, they include things like cryptosporidium, giardia, which is a parasite, shigella, norovirus, E. coli, um, things that uh, are extremely problematic that cause um, life-threatening diarrhea. Um, you know, life-threatening because it can basically tear up your insides and cause uh, massive dehydration. There's also um, skin infections, uh, respiratory eye infections, neurologic infections. So, for example, meningitis um, can be can contaminate um, pools that aren't properly disinfected. Um, you can get, you know, things like staph infections, MRSA. There's there's some really, really bad stuff that can hang out in water that's not properly treated. So chlorination is an amazing tool for making sure that swimming pools are safe from a microbe perspective. Um, but it does come at a, a bit of a trade-off. So uh, because chlorine interacts with organic molecules in the pool, organic molecules in our skin, there's a variety of byproducts that are chlorine-based molecules that are formed. And these are actually the, the molecules that um, are potentially problematic. So this includes monochloramines, dichloramines, I-trichloramines, trihalogenomatrans, which I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but I think if I just say it with enough confidence, everyone will believe me. I believed you until you said that, and right? I was just impressed. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, I could be pronouncing that completely incorrectly. I like to think I'm pretty good at reading chemical names, but every once in a while, mm, was that a hard G or a soft G? Not entirely sure. Halogen, mm, yeah, see, it made up in soft G. Anyways, I'm rolling with it. Uh, and also haloacetic acid. So basically, um, yeah, chlorine can basically result in all of these substances. And while we're talking about chlorinated pools, um, it is sort of important to – there's other halogens that have been used, as bromine especially, in disinfecting pools. So there's a sort of move to using different halogens. They also cause similar um, byproducts. So there isn't an obvious solution other than there's this like move to creating new filtration systems, especially air filtration. So one of the things that happens with all of these um, – like chlorine byproducts is that they're actually like evaporating off of the surface of the water and they're all oxidants. So the mechanism behind a lot of the issues that they cause are all oxidative damage. And they're actually highest in the air just above the surface of the water. And so there is this move towards uh, creating air filtration systems in uh, public pools, especially pools where uh, elite athletes, elite swimmers are, are training in order to keep the air as clean as possible. And so that is a really interesting, you know, not really the focus of this podcast, but definitely an interesting thing that's happening in terms of the technology, recognizing that these chlorine byproducts are causing health problems. And a lot of the research actually stems from studies of elite swimmers. So recognizing that they have oh, typically about like double the asthma rates of uh, the average population. Whoa. And they have a, right, 
while they're being athletic and Uh breathing. Interesting. Right. And breathing uh, higher humidity air, which is typically considered beneficial um, for asthmatics. So there's this really interesting give and take, and it really has to do with the chloramine. And of course, the amount of chloramine in the air is very different depending on the pool that you're swimming in. Um, so it, it can, it can be like, do, are they using ozone, which reduces the chlorine use? Is it a saltwater pool, which reduces the chlorine use? How's the ventilation? Is it an outdoor pool or an indoor pool? And what's really interesting to me is I sort of dove in. Most of those science actually has to do with, um, asthma and other sort of lung issues. So there's, um, what's just called like a bronchial hyperreactivity, which is sort of different, uh, slightly, it, feels the same as asthma, but it's categorized differently in terms of a medical condition. Um, and actually rhinitis, so like sinus infections also kind of falls under this category. And it's interesting because this is where the majority of, of the science actually is, is in this. And it comes from like, wow, why, why, why do all these swimmers have asthma? Now I want to take a moment to talk about elite athletes in general, because, um, Elite athletes in general have higher rates of asthma, and they have higher rates of lung infections. So we see this not just in swimmers, but we see this in cyclists, triathletes, uh, long-distance runners. So, you know, I want to make sure that we're focused on, um, you know, understanding that chlorine is not awesome. For example, chlorine gas is a chemical weapon banned under the Geneva Convention, caused massive deaths in World War I. It's a horrible thing. But these low levels of chlorine exposure that we're getting through chlorinated water, provided the water is like actually treated appropriately. Like every once in a while, you'll hear these stories of, uh, you know, a bunch of people with breathing problems because the pool was overchlorinated and it caused all these problems, right? Like a properly maintained pool, the water chemistry is tested every single day to make sure the chlorine levels don't get high enough. This chronic low chlorine exposure is obviously associated with problems, but so is like, uh, elite training. So, um, let's also just take a moment to recognize that while swimmers have higher rates of asthma, so do a lot of elite athletes. And that's because that level of training actually, uh, suppresses aspects of the immune system and overactivates others. So, uh, with exercise, there's what's called a U-shaped curve. We see these all over biology where there's this amazing happy medium where you're moving most of the day. You're not spending very much uh, time sedentary and you're engaging in maybe, um, you know, three to six hours of higher intensity activity during the entire week. And you're avoiding prolonged and strenuous activity. So you're not going for a 20 mile training run on Sundays, but you're, you're keeping it much more reined in, that's sort of optimal for human health. Once you get into elite athlete level training, that's not great for the stress axis, for the immune system. And you see that reflected in higher asthma rates. So let's, you know, recognize that athletes that have, that don't go anywhere near a pool also have higher rates of asthma, but chlorine does seem to be a contributor. And this appears to be through basically disrupting the lung barrier. So it disrupts epithelial barrier. So we've talked about gut health a lot on the podcast. 
Um, and we've actually done quite a few podcasts on skin health. Um, these are all what are called barrier tissues. They're all made up of uh, a type of cell called an epithelial cell, which is a very special cell because it has a top and a bottom. Uh, not all cells know which side of its top and bottom, but epithelial cells do. Um, and they they actually have different processes happening on the top versus the bottom. So the bottom face is inside the body. The top face is outside the body. Our skin um, is made up of epithelial cells, our lungs, uh, our gut barrier, our sinuses. And so all of these tissues have the job of uh, protecting the inside of our body from things that are outside of our body. But lungs and gut are kind of different from skin in the sense that they have to be somewhat permeable. So we have to have oxygen exchange in the lungs. In our gut, we have to have nutrients be absorbed across that barrier and ideally not other things. And so whenever you have these barriers that have to selectively let some things in, that becomes a very sophisticated tissue and sophisticated tissues are more sensitive to perturbation, which means that, uh, for example, toxin exposure, even a low-level chlorine or chloramine exposure in the air above the surface of a pool can potentially disrupt the lung barrier. So there's some, some interesting studies showing that it's not just that somebody with a predisposition to asthma has that asthma made worse by breathing in chloramine, but that actually chloramine is contributing to the, um, the, the pathogenesis. So it's contributing to the development of asthma. Um, and what's really interesting is, you know, there's, um, there's studies showing different sizes of effects. So there's also studies looking at, uh, if you take your infant to a pool, do they have a longer lifelong risk of asthma? That data is actually very mixed. There's some studies that show that there's no effect. There's other studies showing there is an effect. Um, I would say the majority of studies are showing that uh, chlorine compounds do contribute to asthma and allergies uh, later in life, but it's it's not uniform data by any stretch. Um, and the magnitude of the effect is very different. So it's hard to say like you have a 10% increased risk versus 30 versus three. Like that, that mag the magnitude of the effect is there's not quite enough data to really hone in on that because it's still where research is with this is still even just clarifying that the effect exists and understanding the mechanisms. But the mechanism seems to be the fact that uh, chloramine and these other chlorine byproducts are oxidant molecules. They cause oxidative damage. They cause um, damage to the lung barrier, um, impacting the integrity of that barrier, which then can allow other exposures to get into the body, and that stimulates an inflammatory response. And asthma is a immune disease, but not autoimmune, right? So it is caused by the the main aspect of the disease is lung inflammation that is impacting how um, how the the bronchioles uh, dilate and, and um, contract, and then that's what causes right that asthma attack is basically the um, lungs becoming very rigid and sort of refusing to expand as they're supposed to. So um, that is driven by inflammation. And uh, again, there's, I, you know, I was sort of going like, okay, so someone like me, you know, with, granted, I, you know, I haven't had to take asthma medications on a regular basis since I went paleo. Um, but what would I do if I was swimming in a pool a few times a week to 
prevent that chloramine from worsening my asthma so that I would have to go back to medications. Okay, so what would I do? And there's not really a, uh, you know, I was interested to know, like, well, what about like an oxygen flush? Like, what if you um, make sure that you do a few minutes of really high intensity activity afterwards or like deep breathing exercises to kind of get the chloramine filled air out of the bottom of your lungs afterwards? There's no science to look at anything like that. Um, in fact, there's no science. I also tried to find out like, well, we know that, for example, vitamin A, vitamin D, uh, zinc, omega-3 fats um, are all really important for lung health. And independent of this extra factor of, of chloramine, we know that deficiency in those things can increase risk of asthma. So do we have, is there any study that's looked at vitamin D being that sort of the best studied uh, vitamin D deficiency and chlorine induced asthma? No studies. Um, so we don't really have from the scientific literature any kind of direction in terms of how to protect our lungs from the oxidative damage from chloramine. Um, but we can sort of infer nutrients that are important for lung barrier function are going to be really important for protecting the lung barrier against the assault that these chloramine compounds are causing. So that means vitamin A, vitamin D, zinc, vitamin C, omega-3 fats, and the gut microbiome is really important. There's a really strong link between um, basically a healthy gut and lower levels of asthma. So an unhealthy gut and higher risk for asthma. So that basically translates to eating a lot of vegetables. And, and that's really, you know, the good news there is that's all baked into the paleo diet, to the autoimmune protocol, to everything we talk about on this podcast. And my inclination out of that would be, um, to just be mindful, right? So be mindful of my uh, barrier tissue nutrients. So all of those nutrients are important for all barrier tissues. I would add glycine, even though there's not specific information linking glycine and lungs. We know that glycine is important for other barriers because it forms connective tissue. There's a lot of connective tissue in the lungs. So um, I would sort of add that. So that means I'm doing my liver. I'm checking my vitamin D levels and supplementing accordingly. I'm uh, eating a lot of seafood, I'm eating a lot of vegetables, um, and just basically making sure that I'm also looking after things like, we know that stress impacts uh, barrier tissues, inadequate sleep, Um, so also thinking about those lifestyle factors and pulling all of those things together. So it's interesting to me that your um, initial thought was to get the fumes out of the lungs. Like, did you, Mm -hmm. do you have any information or research on like absorption rates? I know when I um, did research a long time ago on um, heavy metals being absorbed, like through the skin versus inhalation, they had relative values for um, rate of absorption, which is, as you noted, always higher inside. Um, But I'm wondering if they have like, you know, if someone's in the pool for an hour, is that even going to do them any good? Do you know what I mean? Like if it's right. already absorbed? Yeah. So I have not, I have not seen that data. I wasn't specifically looking for it. So I don't know if I didn't see it because it doesn't exist or if I didn't see it 
because I didn't find it. Um, but a lot of the studies are done. So we have two different styles of studies. One that's sort of done in uh, elite athletes. So they're spending hours in the pool every single day, and they obviously have the highest risk. The studies done in general population or in pediatric populations are the ones that are showing a lot more mixed results. And in part, it's because they're maybe spending three hours in the pool a week compared to three hours in the pool a day. So their exposure levels are a lot lower. But then there's some interesting as we sort of transition into talking from lungs to talking about skin, which is the other area in which there's uh, not as much research as there is on asthma, but there is still some. Um, there is some interesting studies where they like they actually look at an hour of swimming. So they're actually timing it an hour of swimming every single day or an hour of swimming every other day and looking at mechanisms, which is really, really interesting. Um, we know that um, the chlorine compounds, they, um, there's certainly most things are absorbed in the lungs faster than absorbed through the skin because the lungs are permeable and the skin is not supposed to be. But what's interesting about chloramine is it can be absorbed into the skin. Um, and this is one of the reasons why chlorine gas as a chemical weapon was so problematic. Basically, it was causing massive um, damage to mucous membranes. But even with like gas masks, you could still get um, uh, exposure enough to basically cause like a almost like a chemical burn on the skin. Um, so, uh, obviously the levels that we're getting exposed to in a pool are an extraordinarily small fraction compared to what was used in World War One. but we do know that it, it is partially absorbed. And there was one, um, rat study that I found where they tried to simulate, they had this, they had the rats swim in chlorinated water, the same as a standard pool. And we're basically trying to simulate the amount of activity of an, uh, an athlete. So basically instead of going on an exercise wheel, these rats were swimming. And what they found was that there was actually some systemic effects. So effects beyond where the chlorine is actually touching, right? So it's touching your skin, your it's in the air, so you're breathing it. Um, but they actually showed, for example, some liver damage. Um, it's a little bit challenging to completely, right? So there, I couldn't find a, a human study that was sort of equivalent. And I'm a little bit dubious about um, making any big leaps from that particular study into humans in part because it's hard to measure how much of that water might have been ingested. So uh, that would, of course, then be another route of exposure and absorption. And because ingestion is not something that's easily controlled in that type of experimental design, it's very, very challenging to make any kind of like, oh, yeah, it's bad for everyone's liver. Well, we don't actually know that. Uh, in this rat study, it definitely implied that there was some systemic um, pathways. So there were some things that were like body-wide happening. Um, but at this point, that data is way too preliminary to to draw a conclusion. And our audience knows that I, I super value animal studies when they can explain a mechanism uh, where I treat them with a bigger grain of salt is when they're testing for an effect, right? So I'm seeing if this drug cures this disease in rats. We can't necessarily make the 
jump to, uh, yeah, obviously this is a miracle drug that humans have been waiting for forever because there are differences to our metabolism and, you know, there are some biochemical differences. Um, and so this particular study didn't really get into the mechanisms of why it was happening. So it's, it's again, I, I would consider that sort of preliminary information. And where do you think the, what sounds like it's a myth, because you talked about some um, vitamins for consideration that science has not shown as helpful, although I would say I'm glad I'm taking liver pills. Um, but mm-hmm. where do you think the myth of counter uh, counteracting with vitamin C comes from? I mean, when I when I shared in social media that I was swimming a lot, and what did people recommend? Like 80% of the people were like, make sure you're taking vitamin C and using vitamin C lotion because that neutralizes chlorine. So where is that coming from? That is such an excellent question that I am going to answer in about 10 minutes. <laughs> Because I think that, um, so let's, let's talk a little bit about the skin impact of, of chlorine, because I think that, um, that's where, that's where this, this myth, you really see it, right? Like all of these vitamin C based lotions that are marketed for swimmers for detoxing chlorine, they're really expensive lotions. Um, and so I think that's an awesome question because I totally researched it and I totally know the answer. Sweet. But let's actually uh, talk a little bit about chlorine contact dermatitis first, and then we can talk about the vitamin C lotions and then take a step back and talk about vitamin C as a supplement um, and and how those two things are, are a little bit different. So can I ask one more question before we jump into that? Then? Absolutely. Um, so when it comes to and I'm going to use quotation marks because we've done a detox myth show and we'll put a link in the show notes and you're welcome to go back and listen to that. Um, So I use this term lovingly with quotation marks, but when I go into the sauna after the pool and I'm sweating things out of my system, is that doing me any good? Because I know you're going to talk about skin, but I'm thinking like outside in is somehow helpful, which is not the same thing as like getting the air out of my lungs. Are you going to cover that later? I can. That was not something I planned. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But no, but I think um, that would fall under detoxification in general. So um, let me briefly answer that one right now, because we're going to talk, we've sort of mentioned, right? So we're absorbing some of these uh, chlorine byproducts, which are causing oxidative damage and stimulating inflammation. And that is the mechanism behind uh, asthma, which we've just talked about. And it's also the mechanism behind the chlorine contact dermatitis, which I'm about to talk about. And so detoxification basically in general is really, really helpful. So uh, going into a sauna, um, you know, juve is also really good because it increases heat and sweat can also increase detoxification. Um we actually do push a lot of toxins out of our skin through sweating. Sweating is a wonderful, healthy, awesome thing to do. And it's one of the reasons why uh, exercise is beneficial, although it's sort of like far down the list in terms of why exercise is so great for us. Um, But it's also one of the reasons why, um, you know, all of these sort of like uh, saunas, especially um, dry saunas, 
um, can be so helpful is because it's uh, forcing us to to sweat and and push those things out through through sweat. So Sweet. I love that you said dry sauna because there's also a steam room, and I was like, that doesn't seem right. And then once you started talking yeah. about things in the lungs, I was like, oh, I'm glad I haven't been going into the steam yeah. room. The there's actually a lot stronger science supporting health benefits of dry saunas than steam rooms. They're a little bit different, um, but generally for uh, detoxification purposes, dry saunas are better. The challenge is that you have to work harder to be hydrated. Um, and that's why steam rooms tend to, that's like the one benefit of a steam room is that they're not dehydrating, but in terms of the detoxification benefits, those are much more magnified in a dry sauna compared to a steam room. I love that I threw that ball and you caught it and ran. <laughs> I'm just so relieved right now. Okay. I'm ready to I move on to skin. I love it when I know skin. the answers. Um, <laughs> what I'm so hearing the, is it's, it's, it couldn't hurt. So I'm happy about that. I'm like, check. Okay, moving on. Yeah. I think, I think that, is, uh, that is the right answer. Yes. Um, so the other major concern with this chloramine exposure is – Again, what I've already mentioned is called chlorine contact dermatitis. It's a form of eczema. Um, some people will call this a chlorine allergy, so it can look like a full-body rash. It's not technically an allergy. It's not technically driven by um, histamine production or IgE. It's actually small spots of eczema. So it's actually um, – eczema is um, – it's basically a inflammation process that's being driven by defects in the skin barrier that's allowing uh, toxins to cross into the body. So it's actually kind of like the consequence of what uh, I'm using air quotes is sort of like leaky skin, uh, the analogy of right leaky gut. And um, what's happening is when there's a defect in the skin barrier that allows things to cross in and that simulates an inflammatory response, you get these little patches of basically inflamed red scaly skin. And so the, the main root problem behind eczema is impaired barrier function. And one of the reasons why the risk of that is increased with um, chlorine exposure is that, um, again, the sort of oxidative molecules can disrupt the epithelial barrier. So it's the same mechanisms behind how they can drive inflammation in the lungs that can lead to asthma. They can basically cause disruption of the skin barrier, which can allow compounds in, and then that drives inflammation. And so um, there's actually been some interesting studies that, again, sort of look at an hour in the pool um, and how that's changing the biophysics of the skin, so how the skin is working as a barrier, and basically showing um, that the skin, uh, the skin pH is higher. Um, its um, uh, ability, so what they measure, how electricity can flow, very low levels of electricity can flow across the barrier, and that's a really good measurement of how permeable the barrier is. So the more um, electricity that can that can cross the barrier, basically the leakier it is. And so showing that an hour in a pool basically increases the permeability of the skin. And that is then in the context of other risk factors for eczema, like gut dysbiosis, like vitamin D deficiency, then you're creating basically the situation where eczema can form. And that's why it doesn't happen in everybody. So there's also some gene mutations that are linked with eczema. 
um, that are impacting some important structural proteins in the skin. So chlorine is basically the um, barrier disruption that can be that initial event that leads to eczema. And what's interesting is in the study that looked at this barrier disruption is they showed complete recovery of the skin in 24 hours. They didn't measure like in between. They basically had their swimmers come back the next day and they measured again and went, oh, look, your skin's back to normal, which is really good news. What you're, you're saying is that the chloramine in the pool um, and the other chlorine byproducts are disrupting the skin barrier in a way that is very recoverable. And so that implies that if we're doing all of those other really important skin health things, we've talked about eczema and skin health on the podcast before, um, and we can put links to previous episodes in the show notes, we see the same sort of thematic things over and over again, right? Omega-3 fats are very, very important for skin health, which means eating a lot of seafood. Uh, Vitamin D, I've mentioned, is a critical barrier tissue nutrient, but so is vitamin A, and we really mean the animal form of vitamin A that we're getting from liver. So is vitamin E, so is vitamin C, and so is the amino acid glycine and the mineral zinc. So all of those things together are really, really important for barrier tissues in general. They're very, very important for skin health. And so... Um, all of those things are going to help uh, take as a uh, nutrient that we're consuming in our diet um, are going to help the skin have the nutrients that it needs to recover quickly. Now, there's, again, no data specifically linking uh, you know, an increased risk of chlorine contact dermatitis with vitamin D deficiency. We know there's plenty of studies linking uh, regular contact dermatitis with vitamin D deficiency. So there, there is a little bit of a logic leap here saying if the chlorine is disrupting the skin barrier that is the triggering event for eczema, then all of the nutrients we know are important for eczema risk are going to be important here as well. We don't have the direct studies to absolutely confirm that. Um, but I don't think, as you sort of look at the mechanisms, I don't think it's a huge leap of logic to go from the nutrients that are important for skin barrier health are going to be important for skin barrier health when that barrier is assaulted by chloramine. So it's interesting to me that um, immediately after the barriers weekend, and if you think about it, when you get pruny in water, mm-hmm. your, your skin is softer. It is, yep. you know, I guess, weaker in structure. So I'm assuming that that has something to do with it. Yeah, it'll actually, um, you'll have more water transport across too. So you can actually dehydrate um, depending on um, the, the basically the flow of water across the barrier. It likes to go from high mineral concentration to lower mineral concentration. So depending on the water you're swimming in, you can even dehydrate based on hanging out in water, um, which is kind of interesting. Uh, in a concerning sort of way. Um, but let's talk about um, the two the two main things that are sort of recommended to protect against um, this basically chlorine-caused eczema. Um, once you have it, there's a lot of things showing that, oh, you do all these Benadryl creams, it's not a histamine reaction. <laughs> Benadryl creams are not going to help. Um, it's an inflammatory reaction. So... Um, you're looking more at anti-inflammatory creams. If uh, if it's really bad, if you're having like a massive reaction, this is where a topical steroid is is 
more uh, as an immediate intervention, um, like go to your doctor. But in terms of minor reactions, um, they tend to resolve on their own. So avoid subsequent exposure and let it heal is, is generally this, these tend to be self-limiting reactions. There are cases where it's severe, in which case medical intervention, but a uh, Benadryl cream is not going to help because this is not a histamine effect. Um, the, the two main things that are recommended to do if you're a person who gets chlorine contact dermatitis, one is to lube up with Vaseline before getting into the pool. Um, the idea behind this is because petroleum jelly is um, a really good barrier. So it basically locks everything into your skin and stops the water from contacting your skin. Um, we've talked about petroleum jelly before on this show in terms of some of the carcinogenic compounds. Um, this is not something that I would reach for. My inclination now, this is my inclination based on knowing the importance of vitamin A, vitamin E, vitamin D for skin health. My inclination would be to moisturize with something like a tallow balm beforehand that's going to be really rich in vitamin A and vitamin D. Um, it's not necessarily going to create the same type of barrier, but the skin is a really interesting organ in the sense that it really does respond to nutrients that are topically applied. Um, so you really need to address skin health both from the inside and the outside. And that would be knowing the importance of those nutrients in skin health. That would be my inclination over, um, a substance that has potential long-term health impacts. Um, well, the other thing that makes Vaseline different just, and I know you're hinting at it, but to use the word, it's an occlusive, um, uh, cream, I don't want to call it a cream substance, substance. which means water or oils or nothing, no, no thing can get between what it is blocking. It is yeah. occlusive. It's a, it's a blocking thing. So, which also means nothing can get out. So yes. you're also limiting your skin's ability to detoxify. Your skin can't breathe, right? So our skin does get some oxygen from the outside. Um, so it, you know, it's, it's not getting access to oxygen. So it, it does have, um, some other potential problems. Now, if I had a super severe reaction to chlorine and this was the only way I could go swimming in a pool and I love swimming and it's the only place I can swim is where there's chlorine. Um, I, I might do this for like the once in a while, but I, I definitely would not feel comfortable coating myself in Vaseline on a regular basis. Cool. You, you got to what I was getting at, which is that yeah. nothing can get out either when you're yes. talking about sweating and natural detoxifications. Mm -hmm. That's where infections can form, not necessarily from a chlorine pool, but you know, when you're, when you're not, when you're limiting your skin's ability to do what it needs to do to heal itself, um, problems can arise. So that's just my personal experience and opinion, not just with the additional carcinogens you're now adding on top of your chlorine issues. So yeah. And then right we can detox. Right. Yeah. So vitamin C, the question that you asked me 10 minutes ago, did I time it right? I don't actually know if it was 10 minutes. I'm, I'm just... sure it's more like 24 for us, but you know. Okay. Excellent. Um, so there are a ton of like detox chlorine pool, like post swimming creams that are marketed that are full of vitamin C. Vitamin C is a really important skin nutrient. It's a really good antioxidant. Um, 
So it's not going to be harmful, um, assuming the other ingredients of whatever you're using are also good. Um, but where the the where does this myth come from? There is zero science looking at whether or not topical vitamin C can actually detoxify chloramine in skin. Um, there's no science looking at whether or not that can reduce uh, contact dermatitis. Like it's it's that just doesn't exist. But uh, vitamin C in the forms of ascorbic acid and sodium ascorbate are used to neutralize chloramine in water treatment plants. So that I think is the science that it, it comes from. So if you do put chloramine and vitamin C into a bowl of water together, um, the vitamin C will chemically react with the chloramine to turn it into a neutral compound that's not harmful. Um, and is that kind of means that it sort of makes sense topically, but that is assuming that the vitamin C and the chloramine are going to the same place and are actually going to interact with each other when absorbed into the skin. And that is like the missing piece of information that we don't know. So if one is, um, you know, extracellular and one's intracellular, they're not in the same place. Um, if one is in the first couple layers of the skin and the other one's in the deeper layers of the skin, they're not in the same place. So that is the piece of information that we don't know. I definitely think that it's not, I don't think it would be harmful. Um, again, assuming that the other ingredients in the vitamin C lotion are clean, but the science is missing in terms of whether or not vitamin C lotions applied after swimming actually effectively neutralize chloramine that's absorbed into the skin. Cool. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I mean, I. it's... We're again in that situation where there is enough science that you could kind of go like you can kind of say it makes sense. It 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 is super plausible. We don't have the science to confirm the effect, um, and it's not that there's science to disprove it. It's that there's not there's no studies showing that it actually works. And again, this sort of falls under. We've talked about this on the show many times that uh, these types of claims, um, these, the, you know, the, the ingredients in these types of products are not regulated. And so it makes it really, really challenging to, um, well, okay, it's challenging from two perspectives. It's challenging for the consumer to know what's, what's real and what's not real, what's good and what's not good, right? But it also, if it's not regulated, there's no incentive for companies to collaborate with a researcher to test something, right? Unless there's going to be a patent that comes out of it. And a lot of these types of things are not patentable because they're considered um, broad, you know, broad knowledge. Um, then there's no incentive to actually get a scientific study done to confirm that vitamin C, when applied topically, is going to detox chloramine in the skin. So uh, I, I'm going back to... Uh, there needs to be more regulations on ingredients in personal care products. What? I know. Look at this full circle. Thanks okay. for uh, making me super passionate about this topic that I totally <laughs> was unaware of a couple of years ago. I, you know, me as well. Anyway, moving, moving right along. Uh, I think we've beat that horse. I mean, that horse can't be dead because it's, needs to be discussed, but for today. Um, so 
I know you talked briefly about um, dry sauna because I made you top of head, but mm-hmm. I believe you have more information and research as it relates to red light therapy and other potential uh, recommendations. I always love when you've sponsored a, sh- a show and it happens to be a topic that totally fits in with the benefits of red light therapy. It's kind of my favorite thing in the world. Um, we've done enough like, uh, you know, oh, Sarah, talk for one minute about what you think about Juve. And then I talk for 10 minutes about how much I love it. And I'm going to try to avoid that in this particular episode because all of our listeners know that Juve is amazing. Spoiler alert. After right. every one of those shows, I say to Sarah, we said we weren't going to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then I do. And, it's, and it really is because the science is very compelling behind red and infrared wavelengths and the um, benefits to human physiology in a variety of situations, including skin health benefits, which are relevant to chlorine detoxification. Um, But also because my personal experience with Juve has been so um, powerful, that is the the magic combination for me of like, wow, I have personal experience and there's science. It's just awesome. But uh, there are some really good studies showing that uh, red light therapy in the wavelengths that Juve provides in the type of dose response, you know, the dose energy deposition levels that Juve provides, uh, can be beneficial for a variety of skin conditions like psoriasis, like rosacea, like eczema, AKA contact dermatitis or atopic dermatitis. So there is actually some really good science showing that Juve can help to reduce the inflammation, restore gut barrier integrity, gut barrier integrity, skin barrier integrity, different barrier. Um, but basically Juve can help to improve skin health. And so that while we don't have science showing that Juve can help us recover from chlorine specifically, we know that it's really, really good for the skin. We know that can help reduce inflammation. To me, it's sort of a no brainer, Uh, if I was spending a lot of time, granted I juve every day anyways, but if I was spending a lot of time in the pool, it would be top priority to juve afterwards to help drive recovery. Good to know. Um, I usually do mine in the morning before I go. So Mm -hmm. I think maybe what I'll do in the future, cause I do the dry sauna immediately after, and then I come home and shower usually to also Mm -hmm. help, you know, get it off the skin and all that kind of stuff. So maybe after the shower, I can juve instead of before in the morning. It sounds like then I'm hitting it from as many angles as I can, including nutrient density. But I think, you know, you talking about the benefits of um, chlorine as it relates to the pool, I think one of the other things for me personally is this is the only form of activity, physical exercise that my body tolerates well right mm-hmm. now, consistently, right? Like I could, I can do some things like once, but then if I try to go to yoga regularly, it's too much and different things like that. So for me, the health benefits of regular exercise are going to outweigh what it is might be happening. It sounds like short term with, with the chlorine absorption. So I, while it, it's not great news overall for me that there's not like a magic button or a pill or something I can take to solve the problem. Um, It's also not the worst thing in the world, it sounds like. And the benefit of physical exercise is so much better for me that I'm not going to think twice about it. Well, let's, let's emphasize just how 
good for everyone swimming actually is as an activity. I mean, it is, um, it's involves muscle involvement, uh, in the entire body. So it's full body muscular strengthening, uh, functional improvement of the lung and the hearts through cardiovascular activity. Um, and all while there's very, very little, uh, strain on the joints. So it is a very accessible exercise and it is incredibly beneficial. Um, and so, you know, there, again, I, I, I wanted to start this whole episode with this, um, Let's remember why we put chlorine in pools before we get all freaked out about what chlorine may do to a percentage of us. Um, because, uh, you know, Giardia bad, <laughs> parasites bad, um, cryptosporidium, not awesome. Um, you know, so things love, love bad things that make humans sick, love hanging out in uh, water that's not moving. So anything that's not a stream or a river and, uh, but you know, swimming is a really amazing activity. And so I think that, uh, I don't want anyone listening to this show to decide that they're never going to swim again, or they're never going to go to a pool again because they're worried about the chlorine. Um, I instead want to empower people with the knowledge of, uh, vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin C, I would say topical vitamin C might not be the magic cure, but I don't, it's certainly not going to be harmful. Um, and, uh, potentially combine that with some, some juving and, uh, work on right skin health and respiratory health in general, and then enjoy, um, enjoy the benefits of activity. I also find, uh, now maybe this is because I just love the water. I, I was the kind of kid who my family would go to the beach. I would go in the water and I wouldn't come out of the water until they were halfway back to the car in the parking lot. And then I would like reluctantly come out. I would spend every spare minute in the water. There's something about swimming to me that is also super relaxing. It really calms my chronically overactivated HPA axis. So I want people to enjoy all of those benefits and really focus on the benefits while taking some steps to mitigate the potential um, problems associated with chlorine, which really involves the nutritional aspects, making sure to shower when you get out of the pool and not let the, the chlorinated water sit on your skin. And uh, yeah, and uh, have a look at, at Juve. Uh, we should tell people where to go so that they can like get hooked up with a juve. If you want to get a hookup with juve, <laughs> as Sarah has indicated, <laughs> you can check it out. Juve is spelled J-O-O-V-V.com. And then if you go to slash paleo view, you can get information from Sarah and I about this unique red light therapy. We've talked before about our partnership with Juve specific because of the scientific findings of their particular wavelengths of red light. So um, I personally, when we did our red light therapy show, was kind of blown away at how much those wavelengths and intensities and closeness and all of those kinds of things really affect um, effectiveness. So if you mm -hmm. are unfamiliar, go back and listen to that show because I do think that we've referred to Juve a lot since then, but the science on it is is so compelling. And also, if you are going to get one, you want to make sure that you're using it properly to maximize the goodness that comes from it. So definitely check yeah. that out as well. The properly is what you mean is buck naked and really close to it. Yes. <laughs> <It's> pretty much. <laughs> That's yeah. 
for, for 10 minutes. Yeah. The only other thing that I was going to mention before we say goodbye um, is when we were looking at getting a hot tub at our old house, we specifically were able to get a saltwater hot tub, um, mm-hmm. which minimized the amount of chlorine that you need. So if you are looking into doing this yourself and um, whether it's a hot tub or installing your own pool or anything like that, the cost of installation of of choosing a saltwater versus chlorine is nominal, not no, nominal, nominable. <laughs> what is that word? Nominal. Um, yes, there you go. Okay. <laughs> oh goodness. But if you um, are trying to retrofit it, like if you move into a yeah. house, like we moved Retrofitting into, retrofitting is a much bigger investment. Oh than my just gosh, so much more expensive. So if you are even thinking about getting your own, if you have the opportunity to influence anyone getting their own um, water activity area in their home <laughs> or elsewhere, definitely maybe share with them the benefits of going salt water and reducing chlorine use. Because first of all, it's lovely. Like you float more <laughs> and it's, nothing stings in your face. It's, it's just a lovely experience, let alone the reduced toxins. I also like the term water activity area, and I want to acronym, acro, acron, acronymize that as wah. What's happening right, right now is that <laughs> I'm starting to fall apart, and you're starting to make fun of me. Like I can't, I'm just, it's time to go, friends, listeners. I am going to head off jet set to who knows where is next. I'm so excited that when the show comes out. I literally have no idea where I'll be. Um, I do want to say that I have five events planned as of right now as I tour across the country. So You might be done half of them by the time. Who knows? But I do want to just point them out and let you know um, because they're kind of official at this point. So in Portland, Oregon, on June 23rd from 4 to 5.30 p.m., I will be at Cultured Caveman. You are welcome. I love Cultured Caveman. Who doesn't? Say hi to Heather and Joe for me while you're there. You are welcome. Welcome to bring your cookbooks to get them signed. We'll be having um, snacks and you come hang out and you can try on vitamin C cream for your skin, (laughs) whatever it is that you need, it'll be there. Um, And then in Denver, Colorado on July 2nd from 7 to 9 p.m., I will be in Beauty Counter's new retail store in the dairy block of downtown Denver in Santa Monica, California, sometime between July 11th and 14th, I will be doing an event with Cassie of Fed and Fit. Um, we will have more on that coming, so make sure you're on my email list if you are in that general area and would want to come to an event. Um, in Houston, Texas, from uh, 2 to 4 p.m. on July 27th, we will be at World of Beer in Cyprus. Um, I know that sounds weird, but I guarantee you they have cider, they have non-alcoholic beverages, <laughs> and a gluten friendly menu um and so again at all of these events there will be food you can bring books and then the last event will be in tampa florida um that date is not to be determined but probably that saturday or sunday august 3rd or 4th and i will be with elena of graced and enthused as well as jen of predominantly paleo and we'll just be hanging out and having fun sarah is not sure 
honestly, I'm only going to be there for two days, whereas all these other cities, mm-hmm. I'm going to be there longer. Um, and you've got your kids starting school and all that kind of stuff when I come visit you in the suburbs of Atlanta. So we're not sure if we'll have an event. And then after I visit you, we're going to Tennessee. And then we're going to Russ's in <gasps> Norfolk, Virginia. And I'm, I'm not doing an event there, but I'm excited. I'm so excited to see so many friends all over the country and um, go to places I've never been or take the boys places that I've loved that they haven't been. Um, we will do an in-depth show on the road about how we're making it work. Um, but for right now, I'm feeling a little... <laughs> feeling a little frantic um, about is it going to work and are we going to survive? So I'm sure once we're on the road, I'll feel more comfortable and confident <laughs> that we are surviving and everything is happening. Um, someone messaged me. They're going like a, a way that I was going um, from one city to the next. And they were like, hey, maybe I can get a ride with you. And I was like, honestly, I don't think you're going to want to join the like foot stench fart mobile. Um <laughs> So probably not going to work. <laughs> uh, yeah, especially especially like partway through. Mm-hmm. Like at the beginning, I can imagine it won't be so bad. Yeah, I have, then... I have ensured that at, like at least every other stop we're going to has laundry. And uh-huh. um, there will be so many showers and so <laughs> much clothes washing. Like... <laughs> <laughs> uh I love I love uh knowing that this episode will air like partway through your trip and and that like right now it's all completely hypothetical and then when this airs it's going to be real. Oh, it's going to be real real. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I mean this is the trip of a lifetime for us. Matt and I have had this on our bucket list and wasn't weren't sure we could ever do something like this and so to do it when our children are of the perfect age, when they're interested, they love history, they love science, they love all the things we're going to see. We've been watching endless YouTube videos about different cities and figuring out, you know, what are the places we want to visit and um, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's just it's one of those magical family things that I'm so grateful we get to do. So thank you listeners for all of your support over the years and helping make this happen. It is quite literally a dream come true and we're so grateful to get to do it. And thanks again to Jew for sponsoring this episode of the podcast and a reminder to our listeners that you can check them out at juve.com forward slash paleo view. That's J O O V V.com forward slash paleo view. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. We're good on that point, other than we just created yet another cut point. But really... It's going so well for you already, Matt. (laughs) You know, Matt has weeks to edit this. I think we should just cut point away. Yeah, because he won't be doing anything while driving all over the country. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sorry, Matt. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. 
Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.